All right. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast, uh, episode number 38, hashtag BKOT. Thanks for taking time out during your lunch or on the West Coast, your morning, and joining us today. So uh, we have some interesting topics to speak about. Uh, special guest from OmanCPA.com, Jared Ben Arsdell, uh, based in Arizona. So he's up a little bit early. And things we're going to discuss is uh, tax, recent tax news, some labor issues, been a big, um, uh, 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 not just across the states, but I'm noticing across the North America, and points of legislative engagement in relation also to some economics today. So, Jared, thank you for taking time out today. So, please tell us about yourself a little bit. No, Chris, I, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to get to talk with you. You know, um, I'm Jared Benarsil, CPA. I'm a partner with the firm Omen and Company here in Phoenix. Um, we're a small firm. We have 10 people, um, three partners. Everybody here is CPA or will be a CPA. We don't have the normal hierarchical structure of a CPA firm. So we don't tend to do a lot of uh, uh, kind of write-up work type of accounting practice uh, you typically see in a small firm. We tend to stick with our niche areas and our high net worth clients to you know, add value. You know, and that the way I explain it to my staff and, and to potential clients is, you know, if if we can't add value beyond just a, a commoditized tax return at the end of the at the end of the year, we're not necessarily providing a good service, right? So we we tend to be very specific to the clients that we're bringing on to the ones we can actually add value with on an annual basis. And outside of the firm, um, I'm a uh, past chair for the Arizona Society of CPAs and a member of the Council for the American Institute of CPAs as well. Awesome. So as you and um, your, your close-knit group at, at the firm, right, were, um, you know, on come the pandemic and did you see much transition happen within your firm or were you already kind of that virtual model and where do you see yourself um, going in like the next three years? Yeah, so before, Let's say about 2013. I think at some point we were, I think we were deemed early adopters of a cloud-based internet service system. So we, uh, most of our team was already working on a remote type of system, not necessarily out of the office. Um, we had migrated our servers offsite, you know, so they were used to the environment, even though most of them were still in the office on a day-to-day -day basis. So when we transitioned out of the office, it was pretty seamless. I think there was a few more devices and things like that we needed to take. It was mostly um, kind of navigating the staffing and personal issues of staff through the COVID environment and trying to trying to figure out, you know, Arizona tends to be a little bit more, you know, we tended to find wild, wild west a little bit uh, uh, better than other states, you know. And so the governor had removed um, the work at home requirements pretty quick. It was like mid May 2020, I think it's like within like 60 days. And um, so trying to figure out who was coming back to the office, how we're going to do client engagement, how we're going to um, deal with, you know, potential new referrals, getting everybody kind of uh, up to speed on how this kind of new environment is going to work. And it's all worked out just fine. You know, what I've noticed though, you know, from a um, a new team member perspective we ended up picking up a couple team members here in the last last 30 days or so is the demand from uh the labor force itself has changed dramatically from what we expected last year you know you know last year there was a little probably kind of like a kind of an uncertainty to hire 
you know, because of everything kind of going on through the summer of 2020. But prior to that, let's say, you know, December of 19, the the labor expectations in exchange for, you know, services had changed radically in kind of the labor force was just kind of dictating the expectation of the position versus the employers dictating the expectation of the position. So maybe because probably some supply and demand issues, maybe, maybe it's just because of the, you know, think of like new graduates coming out of the university were kind of, they've never worked in an environment that wasn't remote or flexible in some fashion or another. So this is their basic understanding of how public firms work type of thought process, you know? So, you know, from your perspective, have you, have you seen the, uh, kind of just expectational change, you know, from a, a labor uh, standpoint, you know, because it, it was a, it was kind of a surprise to us. We expected it to be some type of draw back to the office, mainly because, you know, I'm, you know, maybe uh, leaning towards that kind of back to the office, Arizona, we're back at it type by summer 2020 type of thought process. Yeah, so I have um, worked across uh, several industries and remote work was always an option right and i came into the accounting industry over four years ago and the word remote or virtual was like never never before heard never before thought of no not for anybody and uh uh, myself for all four years i've worked remotely um and so when i uh when i speak with clients and i'm discussing this whole concept of what we do how we go about it what's in it for them, um, advice, guidance. But anytime I'll mention the word remote or virtual two, three years ago, there's a lot of hesitation. Now that's changed, right? Mm-hmm. It got more comfortable. Understand that it, these a specific tasks can be done by anybody and, and not just anybody in their office, anybody in this world. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it has been refreshing to see the um the hesitation lower uh, the anxiety lower and adopt it however nothing ever beats you know the face-to-face interpersonal relationship i mean the best part of my job was going out and meeting clients all throughout the summer months right and so last year scratch that and this year starting to get back into that slowly right so i think the a hybrid environment is perfect. And it should be, should have been implemented already. You guys were ahead of the game doing that. So perfect. But you need to have a mixture. Um, fellow colleagues and peers of mine have also noticed where, uh, uh, for example, one friend of mine was doing, uh, works for a firm here in New York City where I'm based out of. And they used to always uh, do their month end close and it's just be stressful and it would get done or just be a little late and it just was always like ah oh, what can we do now when they move to the remote environment they just everything's getting done early <laughs> and so when when new york city reopened up they were supposed to you know go back to the office and they made it optional and they what do you call it hot desking right, right. So everyone lost their desks but they could come in if they'd like you know just kind of get right. your work done and so that that's just very important to set these expectations offer um, the ability of a hybrid office is, I think, is 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 very important, not just in the accounting industry, but all industries. You know, if you have right. that option, right? Yeah, it's funny as you say that because I was I had breakfast with a a colleague of mine from the State Society of CPAs. He's a partner at a mid-sized firm here in the Valley, and he he was telling me this same thing. He was, I think they didn't call it hot desk, but it's kind of office rotational issue, right? And um, 
partners sharing offices, staff sharing offices. And, and, and I think the one that stuck out in his mind is like, you know, the setting the tone at the top, right? And saying, listen, we're doing this, everybody's doing it, we're rotating in and out two or three days a week, whatever you, is comfortable for you, works, works for you and your schedule, you know, but, you know, partners, you're giving up your parking space as well. <laughs> Type of <laughs> So there's certain things that, you know, might have been defined as like hands off, you know, that get rotated through this process as a means right. of just setting the tone of, hey, flexibility is the standard uh, rather than the exception. And um, so now this is my pure curiosity is from your perspective not only offshore spot because i my my recollection is that a big portion of the offshore work that you've done is um in the middle east right in india right is there is there any like in the philippines or anything like that as well oh uh, no, no no we uh, india is number one in accounting hands down yeah. oh, okay so that makes sense have, they reporting into an office and and do to commence client work right so yeah just because it's remote right people also get that mixed with Oh, they're at home. No, no, no. Yeah. not in not in this case. And it's important that you know you understand that and the expectation. So they are reporting to an officer. There's a controlled environment, right? Um, and but how, how did the 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 COVID outbreak? I can't remember the the variant issue that happened in the last like three months, roughly. How did that kind of yeah kinda modify that remote work environment yeah. from you know from India? Yeah, no, it it was tough. It was really yeah. really tough, and so. Our clients, though, especially our tenured clients, were um, uh, offering for their associates to work at home, right? signing mm -hmm. off on, and approving this because it's not a model that uh, that we uh, do on a normal basis. And it was good, right? Put the put their associate at ease. You know, every they're treated on the same levels. They're onshore team with that flexibility. Um, but this was at the you know idea of the client so but then still 80 percent of our resources reporting into the office but it's just a you know feel good feel good for everybody to understand that we're all on the same page we're dealing with this hard and we had already implemented pp protection and and uh testing and uh, isolated cases you know, get those uh taken care of right away but uh the the staff and the team has done very well through this uh but has it been easy <laughs> not so much Right, because mm -hmm. of the, the the controlled environment, we have to literally move the computer over to their house, right? So, but in order to <laughs> serve our clients, make sure everyone's on the same page, it's just uh, understanding that everyone is treated equally, and so right. it was managed but tough. <laughs> Sum it yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. What what have um, I know you specifically haven't worked with uh, offshore staff, but what are your thoughts on it, especially in relation to like compliance and and so to help your local team be more advisory? Yeah, yeah. From from our perspective, because we don't provide any kind of we, we try to minimize the amount of uh, replicative work that we tend to, to you end up and handing off to associates. So we try to maintain a level of service that is effectively you need the CPA license or the CPA experience CPA to work on, you know, but, you know, from our experience that, you know, from working with clients that have used offshore uh, staffing is that, you know, you're structuring your schedule around it, but it tends to be stuff that you anticipate to be highly replicative. Uh, you end up seeing a lot of commoditization around, right? You know, the, the AP transactions, the reconciliations, the you know, kind of the stuff that you see on a month-to-month -month basis. That kind of just the background work that 
you know, you're not seeing most firms, you know, uh, dealing with. You think of it as a kind of commoditizing that bookkeeper type of relationship or maybe even the part-time controller type of relationship that's just not really doing anything else besides the financials on a day-to-day basis. It totally makes sense, you know, from a compliance standpoint. You know, I, I'm a tax partner here at our firm, and the amount of legislation that I ran through in the last two years has been dramatic. You know, and and I, I could I could take a back seat and just kind of wait for you know 30 days and wait for someone to summarize it for me, you know, and kind of uh, get the the headline details and kind of work backwards from there as issues come up, you know. But after the CARES Act passed, I think I within that week, I was sitting there reading 800 pages of tax legislation and then the December omnibus bill. And then again, in March, the ARPA law. And then this weekend, I was reading 200 pages of state tax law with the Arizona state budget passed with a bunch of tax provisions in it simply to identify anything and everything that can affect clients. As mean as that value add is like, listen, here's this, this is happening. It doesn't affect us immediately, but it's going to affect us next year. And we you know, take that into account. Now, what, you know, at the state level, we're talking about a few percent, right? Uh, um, a good example is that we represent Arizona just happens to be one of the states that has a pretty large population of private water and wastewater utilities, just deregulated energy market. And the um, so we end up representing a number of them. You think of like uh, small HOAs with a well that everybody uses or a small, a small town that the municipality doesn't want to effectively doesn't have, doesn't and doesn't want to necessarily manage the water and wastewater, so they privatize it. And so those clients, in order, there's a specific portion of their their life that's a, a relationship with the developer, and they're called contributions in native construction. And one of the small that small portion of the that small. Uh, population of CPA firms end up dealing with, unless they're dealing with utility clients, was in this tax law. But now I can communicate that to clients, say, listen, this is a thing that's not going to be taxable going forward. You're going to have to change all your deferred tax calculations. You're going to have to go through and revise your estimates, revise your budgets associated with state taxes and kind of go from there. And is it going to affect them today, tomorrow? Is it an amendment opportunity to go back and claim some state tax revenues back? Um, So there's there's so much entrenched in the value that we can deliver simply by being more privy to what's happening in our state legislatures or federal legislatures in advance or very quickly after. And a lot of people end up devaluing it because it's incredibly time consuming (laughs) and no one necessarily wants to read tax legislation or any legislation in the fact, but um, there's being aware of who the players are and what things are happening inside those those, the functionalities of our state and local governments gives us so much of a wake up simply because one, we can interpret it, communicate it into English, right? And deliver it. <laughs> and, and at the same time, add a tremendous amount of value that isn't connected to the billable hour, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of re-strengthen those relationships. Yeah, as uh, it seemed like it was uh, over a two-year tax season <laughs> it just continued in one into the other and then yeah. it was already uh 2019 was right into 2020 and 2021 came out of nowhere and it's like wow right and so that as we move along hope, and hopefully now everything's kind of leveled out um but as far as uh, tying in um 
with the latest uh, uh, news and, and, and also economics, I mean, do you see any areas of opportunity or do you see anything in the future that uh, closely relates to the accounting world? Um, I, I think it's just a matter of identifying the clients that we see have tremendous upside versus the ones that, you know, are the complete opposite. You know, unfortunately for, because of COVID, we, you know, we have a, necessarily a large club base, we have some clients that they've learned that the community and society as a whole, we can live without travel, we can live without going to restaurants, we can live without leisure for a short time frame, right? So they, they quickly were identified as very ancillary services or ancillary products or ancillary things that were disposable, right? And um, so we, you know, we have a number of clients who have like music venues or we have one particular client that has retail, retail locations inside airports. Right. And and they were completely decimated yeah. by COVID, you know, and most of them, like some of the music locations have, as of today still haven't opened their door to a single event. Um, the retail locations at the airport client, they um, um, they'll be. I think they opened up their major stores towards Christmas of 2020 and they're kind of restaffing slowly as stores reopen and as particularly as volume returns at the right. airports. But, um, you know, so there's, there's that one client base that's been absolutely decimated simply because of the industries to which they observe, they work in. And then you have other ones, um, that it's the best years I've ever had in 2020, yeah. 21. So it's, there's no, I mean, obviously there's correlations based on industries, but the, you know, the, I don't think anybody would have identified um, which ones uh, would have seen just an absolute explosion versus just kind of a steady climb. And, you know, the one, some of the manufacturing clients, one particular is he was a broker of ethanol between farmers and manufacturers. And ethanol happens to be a prime ingredient in hand sanitizer. And it just, his entire life exploded for an entire yeah. year. And it was the most money, yeah, most money he made in, you know, the 70 year he had been practicing. He happened to be pretty old when he was still doing this brokerage work. But the the um, economics way is in Arizona. Um, I This is what I have in trouble really understanding. I don't have an economics degree, but it's incredibly interesting is, Arizona happens to be expanding pretty aggressively. There's a lot of development. Home prices are relatively, let's just call them partially insane. And, um, and it's blamed on maybe population shift. It's blamed maybe on just sheer demand, built up, you know, built up uh, demand over a 12 month, 15 month period. But at the same time, you think of it is that we, we didn't expand population. These people are, if it's population shift, where are they coming from? There has to be a loser on the other end of that transaction. If they're right. coming from Northern California, shouldn't I see uh, prices or something decreasing somewhere else in the country? Right. It doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like there, uh, there's just unlimited prosperity in certain industries and maybe just asset prices in general. But right. it, it seems like there's hard to find the population or this geographic area that's losing in today's economy. Hmm. which is really interesting. I, and I, there could be out there. I just might not have been able to identify it, but, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're, because we're positioned directly from California and there's this kind of push of people think they're leaving the state. You know, we might be one of the prime beneficiaries of that, but shouldn't, mm -hmm. shouldn't we see a negative 
economic impact to the state of California if that were the entire reasoning? And I'm not seeing it. You know, housing prices still there are still astronomical as well. So there's there's some really there's some really interesting uh, issues at play. And you know, uh, I try I try to I try to in particular our younger clientele there, you know, young entrepreneurs in their you know late twenties, mid thirties, or something like that. Say, listen, you're in a one business cycle, you know give it 15 years, we might be in a completely different business cycle, you know? Right. And so we, we take our wins where we can get them. We structure ourselves, but we still have that plan B in place for next time, because there's going to be another business cycle that's not necessarily going to be, you know, beneficial to us in some fashion or another. And we have to be able, if it never happens, great. It's, you know, uh, you know, rainbows every day going forward. But <laughs> if, if, if it does happen, at least we're prepared. And then, you know, we have the, the, the anticipation of what we're going to do, you know, from a firm perspective or even from a client perspective by, you know, being uh, diversified as much as possible and don't have any large concentrations uh, that's going to cause any problems. But sometimes it's unavoidable. But. Well said. Yeah, yeah, very well said. Um, I absolutely agree. And, and made you realize, you know, the um, uh, the, the value and importance of everything. I mean, uh, the funny story on the side is um, I'm very uh, ritual with cutting my hair every week. I go to the barber, right? And it just, it's a good feeling. I do a lot of videos. So I got to have a haircut. Well, on come the pandemic, I cut my own hair <laughs> and I, I taught myself and I've been learning it. And you just, it, it, it now it becomes something that uh, I own and I don't need anyone else to do this. And so like we're getting affected in different ways. And so, I mean, at a personal level, um, it made me realize that I was like, I felt bad. I mean, I have a good relationship with my barber, right? And the same thing, small business, I have a good relationship with their accountant. Right. And so, but I no longer go there and I haven't been there in such a long time. And so you know, the, the abs and flows of what happens, but it's just so important that your firm is geared for anything, like literally anything. I mean, us, like I said, I work remotely. Pandemic came, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm stuck here all day. You know, all my outlets were taken away, social events, networking, uh, meeting friends, gym, things like that. But day-to-day -day business, I mean, the increases started pouring in because we're already geared for that. And so as a firm owner, partner, director, you, you always got to be planning ahead. Too much thinking in the now, working in the business. You got to work on your business. Make sure you're ready for anything. Right. 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 And we we I, what I saw from uh, some of my staff members that you and I probably was a victim of this myself is that during during middle summer of 2020, we we allowed ourselves to be sucked into the now. Right. We allowed ourselves, particularly you think of the client base that was just being completely decimated by what happened. And um, and you, just as a kind of altruistic trying, I'm trying to help them as much as I can type of thought process. And what ends up happening is you end up sacrificing the level of attention, the level of hours. It's only if, we, if I, I told my wife, if I could find some way to make the, you know, the five hours of sleep I get productive, I, I would take it, you know. But the um, you you sacrifice one relationship in exchange for the other so if you're not able to take a step back and have a macro thought process to identify say yeah i got this portion of clientele that are just being absolutely decimated we can you know assign a couple staff members to kind of help them get right. through this process but we have some that are just off to the races and um they need just as much attention or so just as much services or just as much thought process right. and guidance 
that we have to be able to step back and think who's going to be at who's going to be here at the end of two years who's going to who yep. what industries are still going to be you know uh working in five you know yep. and if if we see some that are you know so is there in a in a business model that is easily identifiable is being disrupted and disengaged in two to three years maybe even 10 years it's like you got to say okay we'll help see what we can do to help them and see if they can you know, figure out a way out of this business model or to adapt as they need to. But it's yeah. plausible. There's business cycles economically. There's business cycles in certain industries. There's going to be business cycles in certain clientele that just might not make it to that next benchmark. Yeah. You know, and we get in you know, as a, yeah, as a, as a, as a firm leader, you get a step back macro and kind of devolve that to the rest of the team to say, listen, yeah, I understand that we're trying to do what we got to do, but we got, Everybody else is going to be here in five or ten, you know, and we got to We have to be um, strategic on the use of our time in regards to the same in regards to the clients that you're bringing in, as well as the ones that you're servicing on a day to day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not every business is managed the same. You got to understand it. You got to understand their future in order to help them out. And like I said, yeah, if they're killing it now, great. Find different ways to manage that for the future growth, and then. They're, if they're not doing so well right now, how can you help them? Yeah. Uh, it, it's not all the same playing field. So, yeah. So, uh, what we've seen in like other business models is that you, if you see a lot of consolidation or things like that, you think of uh, uh, software clients tend to get eaten up pretty quick. Smaller ones, as they start generating, they get beaten up and they, they tend to rotate quite quickly because there's a lot of MA transactions in the software startup from. You know, what I identified is that you, you, they're consolidating their business industry and you have to find a way to add value, you have to add and find a way to be advisory in those transactions because you're going to get consolidated out as a firm, right? Because at some point, their serv your services are no longer needed because they've been consolidated and eaten up by another firm or another practice as they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. so if you're not adding value beyond these commoditized services that just kind of be the same thing every year, um, as disruption happens, you're going to be one of those commoditized services that just gets disregarded like the phone system, right? It's like, I don't need that anymore. Just turn it off. Spot on. Yeah. Very insightful today. I want to thank you, Jared. Um, uh, just to, the way how you approach it, the way you, you think about it. Um, really appreciate your time. Any any final thoughts for the audience today before we go? No, I think we covered as much as we can in about 20 minutes, right? Yeah, no, this is good. <laughs> I, I can stay here another hour. Um, you're very easy to talk to. I appreciate it. So thanks again for your time. And so to our audience, thank you again for your time, taking time. I hope you learned some insight into you know, the day-to-day -day operations, how you can make your firm better, how can you help out your clients, right? And it just, everyone's on a different playing field and you got to make sure that you're agile and adept to uh, be able to help manage them. So for now, take care. We'll be back soon with more guests and thanks for your time. Jared, take care. Bye. Thank you.